really honored to be here from bringing you greetings from LCBC. Delighted to be part of what's going on here. I've known John for years and I've been part of Men's Frat or uh, Knights of 21st Century here for the last five years and some of you guys. And so thanks so much for letting me be here. I know you got the short end of the straw because you didn't really have any choice. You got stuck with me. But hey, nonetheless, hey, I'm, I'm delighted to be here. I bring you greetings from my wife, Lynn. She's traveling back from Colorado. She, she has a company called Life's a Journey Backpacking, where she takes women backpacking in the Colorado Rockies, which is not my idea of what I want to do. Are you back, roughing, out, roughing it for me is I have an atrium in a hotel that uh, we stay in. You know, you have some trees there. That's my idea of camping. But she's taking women backpacking in 14ers and climbing mountains and all that. I like to fly over mountains. She climbs them. Uh, so she's been out there for the last three weeks with a number of groups that she's had out there. So she says hi. Um, and I'm also going to tell you that I am so happy to sit here and stand here with you tonight, today and be dry. Uh, yesterday, I was uh, helping my oldest son over at his house, and we were removing trees and bushes and all that kind of stuff, and I was just soaked. Thank God said, well, maybe you need a shower. So we, it rained for a while. So now I'm doubly soaked. And then I, went, then I did get a shower and then drove my wife's Jeep because she has my nice air-conditioned Forester out to Colorado and back, taking all the equipment. And so I have her Jeep, and her Jeep has, like, we don't, I don't ever put the windows up. You always, you know, if you have a Jeep, you just let it wash itself inside all the time. Uh, what difference is going to make inside those things? And so I um, have a Jeep with no air conditioning. So we went to the Philadelphia Zoo last night. It rained the entire time at the Philadelphia Zoo with my four grandchildren and my, my sons and one of their wives. Um, and so I just, and then I drove all home the whole time. It was pouring rain, and I didn't feel like putting the windows up, you know, and so it just was a little bit moist by the time I got home. So by the time I got to bed, I was actually cold in, at this time of year. Uh, so it is just a delight to, to be here with you and be dry. Uh, so thanks. Um, now, I don't know where you are in your journey, where you are in your journey with God, but at a certain point, wherever you are, there's been a moment where you'll sense that God's knocking at the door of your life. He's just knocking. And Jesus is doing that. He says, I, I knock at the door, and if anybody will open it, I will come in. And he's our rescuer. He's our redeemer. He wants to be involved in our lives. I, my experience occurred like that when I was four, 15 years old. I had been running away from God pretty hard when a guy who was 19 introduced me to Jesus in a way I hadn't heard. I had been raised in a Christian environment. There's a whole new kind of perspective. And I, for the first time, truly opened the door and said, come on in, Jesus. And he changed me. He began a process of changing who I was. Now, what's weird about this whole thing is, if he had told me what I now know, I'm not sure I would have done it. Because what I found out is this. If you follow Christ, it doesn't get easier. Whatever it's worth. If you follow Christ, it doesn't get easier. It gets better doesn't get easier. It's like this. Jesus goes to his disciples and he goes, hey guys, you want to follow me? He didn't ask them to believe. As a matter of fact, there's probably a good possibility that the disciples were not believers the day he died. Want to learn a lot about discipleship? Discipleship occurs way before you become a believer, right? He says, going to follow me. So he basically says this, I'm going this way. If you want to follow me, come on. Now, he wasn't going to tell them everything, not because he's hiding, not because he's not a fair God, not a loving God. It just wasn't necessary. He wasn't going to tell them that they would all die a martyr death but John. He wasn't going to tell them that they were going to go through some painful things that Christ said, if they do this to me, you can imagine what they're going to do to you, right? He didn't tell them some of the stuff that was going to take place where one of them was going to betray Jesus, one of them was going to deny Jesus, one of them was going to doubt Jesus. He didn't tell them all that. He just said, come, follow me. So when I was 15 years old, I started to follow him. Now, if you had told me that at the age of 31, I'd be a pastor in Vermont, 
and 17 people out of a church that had grown, almost tripled in the last three years, um, 17 people would vote us out of the 300 people that were involved and shattered our world, shattered Lynn's trust of the church. She grew up not trusting the church. Her father said church wasn't trustworthy. I'll tell you later about her dad. It was, he's not a very good guy. So all of a sudden, us, our two children, Joel, who was about a week and a half, two weeks old, and Josh, who was three, weeks old, three years old, we're suddenly out, wounded, hurt, destroyed. If Jesus had told me if I follow him, I'm going to get kicked out of a church for no reason, I'll explain to you why that happened later on. I probably would have said, ah, really not sure about that. If Jesus had told me that if I follow him, my bride of 41 years, who I love unbelievably, I remember when I met her, I was on a hayride, she was uh, a younger woman, I was 17, she was 15, she fell on me, and I remember my first words to her, true story, first words were, my name's Keith and I love you, all right, that was really it, um, by the way, I meant it, um, it did not go over well at all with Lynn, she did not respond well at all to it, neither did the girl I was with, but it was um, one of those kind of moments where that was my first meeting with her, I loved her from the very beginning, and if you had told me that when I followed Christ, that I would make a choice not to love her for a period of time. And that in following Christ, I would turn my back on him and not value her in our marriage and have the beginning of an emotional affair. If you had told me about that part, and I would have told you, oh, man, I no way in the world. Because you think if you follow Christ, you're going to make good choices, right? And then if you had told me that our third son would die just before his 24th birthday a year and a half ago. That if I follow Christ, one of my kids would die. You don't bury your kids. Your kids bury you, right? If you told me, I, I don't know. I, I'm not sure what I would have done about Jesus knocking at the door of my life and saying, I want to come in. I'm not sure what I would have done at that moment because I don't think I would have said no because I needed a Savior. But at the same time, this isn't what I thought it was. But Jesus does warn his disciples. In Luke 22, verse 31 and 32, Jesus says something to them. It's on the screens. It's in your Bibles. It's in the middle of four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Luke is the one about Jesus' man. You want to find out what kind of man Jesus is? Read the Gospel of Luke. And in Luke, in the 22nd chapter, the 31st verse, these words are given. They're said this way. Luke chapter 22, verse 31. Simon, Simon, talking to Peter, Peter who will deny Jesus three times. Simon, Simon, Satan is asked to sift each of you like wheat. Now here's what's happened. These guys say, Jesus, I'll follow you. Now they knew that the day they followed him, something was radically different. You can imagine, if you would, that there's a river coming through the black curtain over here. It's a river at flood stage, and it's racing across the stage, and it goes through the wall over here. And all of humanity is in the river. You can imagine what it's like and that, this river that just takes your breath away, it just moves you. For some people, they're just loving it. They have inner tubes, those little floaty chairs. You put your beverage right in the arm of the chair, and it's floating down. Some people are trying to get to the bank. Some people are trying to do good things and turn against the river, but it's too powerful and knocks them over. That's what Jesus is saying here. You're all in the river. Every one of us is in the river. All of us. All humanity is in the river. At the end of the river is a waterfall that destroys everybody that does not, that succumbs to the river and follows the flow that doesn't accept Christ, right? Everybody going that direction. Christ comes along and he says to the disciples, hey guys, 
I'd like you to follow me, which means this. You're going to stop moving with the current. You're going to turn against the current, and you're going to begin to either stand or take back ground. Come follow me, Jesus says. What Jesus doesn't identify until this moment is he says, Oh, by the way, you have an enemy that wasn't your enemy before. See, there's three reasons why we do stupid things, why we sin, why the world beats us up, why we find ourselves living in a fallen world. The first reason is exactly that. It's a fallen world. It's a cursed world. It's a world in which death is now part of it. It's a world where illness comes. It's a world where relationships get broken apart. It's a world where storms come and rip roofs off of homes. It's a fallen world. It's basically a world in which we said, Hey, God, we don't need you. In the the Old Testament, in the beginning of the Bible, in Genesis, God, we don't need you. We can do this on our own. And God says, Okay. So yesterday when we were pulling the bushes out uh, uh, on Josh's property, most of the stuff we were pulling out were weeds, and there were roots everywhere, and they were fighting us and resisting us, and there were thorns. That's all part of a fallen world. God's removed his, his presence. God says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No life apart from God. You have death. No truth. You have lies. No hope, right, apart from God. So he says, okay, you can have that part. Now, all of humanity is affected by the fall, the curse, this direction. We're all in it. There's another thing, though, that we get an opportunity to do, because when God gave us the world, he said, you may choose to love me or not love me. It's called choice. Choice is the ability to say, I want to follow you. I don't want to follow you. I want to stand against the current. I don't want to stand against the current choice. We all have it. It's not new to any of us. We have the ability to make wrong choices. It's when a person runs a red light and hits the side of your car. That's not just because of the curse. That's because of choice. It's not just because of a fallen world. It's because of choice. But then Christ says, because you've chosen to follow me, because you've chosen to hear the knock on the door of your heart, you will live in a world in which you now have an enemy. My enemy will be your enemy. He was ignoring you for the longest time. He didn't have to do anything. You were going down his river, dropping off the, the, the destruction at the end of the river. That was no problem for him. But Satan desires you, Simon, to sift you like wheat, to trash you. Satan has a target on your back now, Simon. It wasn't there before you started going this way. So two of the areas, bad choices and a fallen world, they were always there. You have the choice to make good or bad choices. Easier in Christ than not in Christ. So when my son dies, when I lose my son, my son dies because death is in the world. There's cancer. It's a fallen world. And God does not undo the fallen world. He will one day build a new world. But he didn't say, I'm going to remove this cursed, fallen world. I don't know all the reasons why Caleb died, but I know that's part of it. When when I had an emotional relationship, we had two children. We were on man-to-man. You know when you're you're a parent, man-to-man, two kids, you got it, one one for your wife, one for you. Um, And then we had a third child. 
Now it's zone defense. Oh, it's a whole other world. Then we had four kids, and they were all boys. We didn't know how to do a girl. They were all boys. I just got a granddaughter. First one in 65 years of a female in the Walker household. That little girl can have whatever she wants, and she can date when she's 73. But one of the things that's really cool is we have this opportunity, this amazing opportunity for us to make choices. So I have this family. Lynn is spending a great deal of time raising four sons. I'm helping. I'm also developing my career and traveling all over the world. And Lynn didn't seem like she had enough time to love me right, whatever that meant. Respond to me the way I wanted to be responded to. So I determined that I had the right to find someone who would. And I began to play on the edge of what would have been an affair if I, if I had let it go and God hadn't checked it out. The reality was that I was choosing someone other than my bride. Couldn't even conceive of that. But I had slid into it. What is it? Well, I'm moving that way, right? Not moving this way. But the area of an enemy... I'm a pastor in Vermont. There's a group of people that had started a witch's coven, of which most of them were in the 17 people in our church. The witch's coven had one goal in mind. It was to destroy the cause of Christ in the town in Vermont we lived in. I didn't know about the witch's coven at the time. But more importantly, I had no idea about spiritual warfare. Listen to what Christ says in answer to this attack that this man, Peter, is now under. It says in Luke 21, 22, verse 31, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift each of you like wheat, but I have pleaded in prayer for you, Simon, that your faith should not fail, so that after you've repented and turned to me again, you'll strengthen your brothers. What's so cool about this passage, what's so amazing is the very first phrase, but I have pleaded in prayer for you. You want to learn how to beat one-third of that which attacks you, Satan, you have to do it in prayer. He says, you're following me, you're standing against the current. He says, I will plead in prayer for you. He's our intercessor, right? He's the name of which all names are recognized. It is under Christ's name that all knees will bow on heaven and earth and under the earth. It's his name, right? So Christ says, I'm going to teach you how to pray. I'm going to teach you how to pray in the power, blood, and name of Jesus. See, if I had known, I could have said, by the power, blood, and name of Jesus, I would like whatever's going on in my church to stop. And if it was Satan-led, by the power, blood, and name of Jesus, it would have stopped. It's sort of like if you have a headache and you say, man, I have this headache. I wonder if it's the enemy, by the power, blood, and name of Jesus, I like my headache not to hurt anymore. And if it doesn't go away, take an aspirin. But the reality is you have one-third is handled in prayer. It says, basically, get on your knees, fight like a man, a song by Petra years ago. Get on your knees, connect with God, and use his power, his name, his authority. Most of us get prayer wrong. At least I do. Most of the time I ask God in prayer to change the facts. My son has brain cancer. Please change the fact that he has brain cancer. Heal him. The problem is facts are always temporary. Facts are not permanent. They're time-related. The fact is it's hot today. Six months from now, that will not be true of the day. Facts change. They alter. So often we ask God to change the facts, but he never asks us to do that. He really says, pray for my truth. What is your truth here, God? Not how do you change the facts. 
Because if you're always running around changing the facts, you're trying to decide if you're God or not. You're not God. So what we want to do is we want to just say, God, what's the truth in Caleb's situation? What if I had prayed back in the, in the days at, at the church in Vermont? God, what's the truth going on? And he just said, man, you're dealing with Satan, man. And I knew that I could pray in the power of blood and name of Jesus, and I'd have authority that Satan could not, could not touch me without God's permission. He could not touch our people without God's permission. I mean, it was pretty powerful. Didn't know how to do that back then. But it's interesting. He doesn't stop with that. He just says, connect with me. Go for my truth. Hunger for Jesus. Get connected there. And then it says there's a next step. Now, the next step broadens it out besides just Satan. It takes it into this fallen world and the bad choice world. Look at the next statement. But I pleaded in prayer for you, Simon, verse 32, that your faith should not fail. Here's what he says. You're moving against the current. Current, strong. It wears on you. Who are you trusting in? Who are you trusting in? I mean, that's the question. That your faith may not fail, Peter. Who are you trusting in? Now, when Caleb died, I trust God. I've trusted God all my life. I wouldn't know how to stop trusting God ever since I met him when I was 15 years of age. God is trustworthy to me. God the Father is a good being to me. God is, loves my son more than I do. He's faithful. He's just. He's all those things. So I'm good. My wife, however, she was, has been raised by a horrible situation. An alcoholic dad, an adulterer, all kinds of messed up stuff, a lot of abuse, a lot of junk in her life. Her first five years of her life would read like, like one of the worst stories you can possibly imagine. So when God says, I'm your heavenly father, that's not good news to her. Because father doesn't sound good to her. So when the heavenly father lets her son die, it gets real hard for her. Caleb dies, I trust in God. Caleb dies, Lynn struggles to trust in God. Now, here's the problem. In order for you and I to handle a fallen world, you're either going to trust God or you're not. You're either going to trust Him to seek the highest good of those you love or you're not. Because bad things happen to good people. It just happens. So Lynn, struggling to say, can I trust God? Now, she trusts God with her salvation. But, man, she held her dying son in her hand. It's pretty hard to get over that. Here's what it means. It means that you're in this river. It's at flood stage, and this water is rushing at you. Now, if I'm leaning on this table, right, and you want to knock me over, well, you better get a good running start because I weigh 200 some pounds. And if you want to hit me, man, it's, you're going to have to. It's going to. You're going to bounce, and then you're going to not probably knock me over. But if I'm leaning on the table, knock the table over, and I'll fall every time. Who are you trusting in is what Christ is asking of Peter. Who are you, not who do you trust? I trust Lynn. I trust my boys. I trust my, well, I don't trust my grandkids. You see what they do, but I, just, I, I love them to death. Um, I, who do you trust? I have seven guys hold me accountable. I trust them. I trust the staff at LCBC. I mean, I, I trust people, but I don't trust in people. Trusting God. Who he can't be knocked over. And he cannot fall. If you're going to stand against the current, if you're going to stand this way in the river, make sure you're trusting in God alone. Don't trust in your retirement. 
Don't trust in your family. Don't trust in your economics. Don't trust in your job. Don't trust in whatever it is that you're trusting in, your education, whatever it is. Don't trust in it. You can trust it. Don't trust in it. Trust in God. That your faith will not fail, Peter. That you will hold on to what is a rock. Christ Jesus, God the Father, God the Holy Spirit. Because here's what he's saying. It's hard to go against the current. You've got an enemy. By the blood of Christ, you can fight against that enemy. But that water keeps rushing at you. You better be locked on hard. And there'll be moments when you make choices that will cause you to say, I'd rather take care of me for a few minutes. You slip and go underneath the water. You start to move down the stream. You're no longer standing in the current. You're sliding with it. What happened in my life? was I started my slide because I wanted to be taken care of. It's with most of our sins. Most of our sins are about us. You know, I, I, like, I like Doritos. I, I don't eat them anymore because, like, apparently they're bad for you. Unless you work for Frito-Lay, they're good. But they're, they're bad for you, apparently, right? And, and, but, not, but they're, I mean, they have to be good. They're shaped like the Trinity. I mean, they're, they're good, right? And, and, and they're spicy, and the best one's the next one. It's never the last one. You know, there's always one more that's better. Before you know it, you have your face in the bag and you're sucking, Right? Well, what happens is, we, what we do is we get move in this direction. Here's what Christ says to Peter. Hey, Peter, you will fall. You will fail. You will move this way. And the moment you realize it, the moment you realize it, spit the water out and stand against the current again. Don't do penance for your sin. I paid for it. Do not try to work out your salvation. I've worked it out for you. Just lock back into who you trust and praying through Christ, right? That's what you need. You and I need to do that. You know what, what happens if we overeat and we feel bad about it? We go to maple fattening place that feeds you much stuff, and 42 sticky buns later, you're feeling guilty. And so you say, okay, I'm going to make myself pay for it. So remember the old days of Slim Fast? You know, remember it was powder and you mix it with like milk or juice or something like that? Didn't you eat it raw just to punish yourself? Yeah, I'll just eat it by the cup full. Just to... well, Don't punish yourself. God says it's been covered in the blood of Christ. Just turn and re-engage in the river. Why? Because the whole point of this is coming up. It says, But I have pleaded in prayer for you, Simon, that your faith should not fail, that when after you repented and turned to me again, and Peter will repent and turn to me again, strengthen your brothers. This is what this is all about, just so you know. We're in the river because there's people in the river going that way. That's why we're in the river. Trust me. If the day you open the door and let Jesus in to be your Savior, to pay the penalty of your sin, to redeem you, to be your rescuer, if you wanted to be more like Christ, the best thing he could have done was taking you home to be with him. You can be a lot more like Christ when you're in heaven, without sin, without a fallen world, with an enemy held at bay. You want to glorify God? You want to worship God? In heaven's the way to do it. He didn't leave us here to figure out how to do all that. Oh, yeah, that's important. Try. Do your best. That's not why you're here. You're here because there's people in the river. Do you understand that when he wrote this, when he said this to them, there were no brothers? None. The disciples weren't believers yet. Now, he was saying, you're my solution to strengthen those in the river. 
to answer the door where I knock. We're in the river because there's people in the river who don't know Christ. We're his solution. We're his way. He has no backup plan. You're it. I'm it. There's nothing else. Jesus Christ said it's better that I leave and leave you and I because we're better at this than he is. What does that mean? It means we're his plan. We're his idea. He says, get in the river. Lock into prayer. Do not let Satan beat you anymore by the blood of Christ, right? Trust only in him. And when you mess up, when you make a bad choice, spit the water out, spit the bad choice out by the blood of Christ, confess it, and return back into the river. Why? Because there's people in the river. Wouldn't it be cool if we understood that? I mean, wouldn't that really, really be cool? We start measuring our week not by how comfortable we feel, not how well it goes. I'm going to tell you something. You're in the river going against the current. It's not going to be comfortable. But what if we started measuring the week by conversations we've had, by opportunities to grab people that we care about, neighbors, people we work with, family members, people at Turkey Hill? What if we just suddenly started to reach out? Do you remember the scene in the end of the movie Titanic? The ship's gone down. The people in the rowboats that were females and children that were put in rowboats are now moved away from where the ship would sink. And all the rest of the people that survived the boat going under are now screaming for help in the frigid cold water, and they're blowing whistles for them to come back and rescue them. And one woman stands up in a lifeboat. She goes, come on, ladies, grab an oar. Let's go back and get our men. There are men out there. One of the crew members who's in charge of the boat said, Lady, shut your pie hole. She kept talking. He said, Man, lady, I'll shoot you. We are not going back. So she sits down quietly and can't believe nobody's moving around her. And the women just silently sit there as there's people drowning in the water. I believe that a lot of times that's what the church becomes. Lifeboats for us. It's not lifeboats for everyone else that's coming by. Maybe some of you right now came today with a friend or just to check it out. Wouldn't it be so cool if we would continue to grow like this church has been growing and ten years from now we're double, triple, three times the size and, and, and it's not because people came from other churches, it's because people who were in the water got rescued. See, that's what this is about. So just so you know, if you become a follower of Christ, Satan's now your enemy. So you might as well learn how to do what Jesus is telling you how to do here. Pray. Trust only in him. When you fail, turn back immediately. Repent. Re-engage. Why? Because there's people in the water. Wouldn't it be the coolest thing? As we remember Jesus Christ's death in communion right now, his blood poured out, his body broken. What was it all about? Was it for your redemption? Absolutely. Was it for the world's redemption? Yes. For God to love the world. So what if during this time, not only do we share maybe some stuff that we need to get right with him. Remember, we're moving in the wrong direction. Spit it out and turn. That's one of the reasons we remember his death till he comes again. But what if during this time, you just said to him, hey God, show me your truth about those people you put in my life. that I'm in the river for them.
Wouldn't it be exciting to live a week where I'm not trying to figure out how to feel good in the river? I'm trying to figure out how to rescue those who are being ripped down the stream. Let's pray. Father, I'm so incredibly honored to be a follower of Jesus. It isn't what I thought it was going to be. It's a lot harder. It doesn't always seem fair. It doesn't always seem like the benefits that should be ours come. And then I wake up and I realize, Lord, that in you, you prepared us, each one of us, to rescue somebody in the river. And that's why we're still here. In the midst of the pain, bad choices, and an enemy is trying to kill us. Help us to remain in you. Help us to find freedom in you. Help us to remember why we're here.